Dear friends, would you please join the choir in standing to receive our gospel reading this morning, which comes from Matthew, the fifth chapter, which starts at verse 21 and go to 37. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if any are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser might hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and then you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who looks that a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces their wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. This is the written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, friends. It is an honor and a joy to be with y'all this morning. Once again, my name is Jeremy. And uh, if you have had a moment to read any of that bio near the bottom of your worship packet, you know that I'm currently co-teaching a class on the moral teachings of Jesus at the uh, McAfee School of Theology. That's Mercer's Seminary in Atlanta. So, as you can imagine, in that class, we are spending a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount, this three-chapter-long Jesus manifesto for kingdom living. So I was, I was really pleased, I was excited to see the lectionary bring us today to this really intense section of Jesus' sermon. It's loaded with rich and relevant teachings 
In today's section alone, Jesus talks about murder and adultery and lust and divorce and hate. Wow! Huge, relevant, provocative, controversial, countercultural, powerful teachings, as well as important and relevant contemporary themes. So today, I have decided to teach on none of those. Rather, I want to spend our time together focusing on what I think is an often overlooked part of this last section, this passage, Jesus' teaching on oaths. In my experience, this teaching is often even overlooked or oversimplified. When we look at this teaching, we might catch ourselves thinking, this doesn't really have much to do with me, right? Like, when was the last time you took an oath? I don't know. It could be as far back, maybe, uh, as your wedding. You vowed some things there, if you remember. You have something to help you remember. Uh, Maybe if you serve in a public office or some sort of civil servant, you might have had to take an oath. If you've testified in court, so help me God. It's, it's not a big part of our society or our daily lives. But it was a much more prevalent part of life in the ancient Near East. For Jesus' first audience, they knew what Jesus was talking about when he starts talking about oaths. Perhaps their minds went to their scriptures and they thought of Judges 11, the story where the Israelite judge Jephthah He makes this vow, he takes an oath, if I'm allowed to win this battle, I will sacrifice the first thing I see when I return home. This was a tragic error that led to him having to kill his own daughter. Or maybe their minds went to something more recent. Maybe they were thinking of something in the Jerusalem Post that they had read recently, that in a drunken, stupid, lustful moment, the king of Judea, who should know better, made an oath to his stepdaughter. We read about this in Mark 8. It says, he promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Yikes. Story continues. The girl hurried to the king with a request. I want you to give me, right now, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went and beheaded John in prison. They could be remembering any of the dozens of times in the Old Testament where characters swear, vow, and make oaths about all sorts of things. It happens all the time if you're reading through the Old Testament. Or they could be thinking about their everyday lives, where workers would swear loyalty oath to their patrons, or the oaths taken in various guilds and orders, or the practice of making unbreakable promises to God about future or end-of-life giving. It's sort of an estate thing. This practice of making these promises to the temple is called korban, and uh, Jesus addresses it as foolish in Mark 11. Maybe they're remembering the last time they had to go to the city and pay their taxes to the empire, or tried to travel anywhere and had to clear a Roman checkpoint. 
or any time that they might have ventured into a proper Roman city for business or whatever, or maybe visited the Roman district or neighborhoods in Jerusalem and needed to buy or sell or attempted to make use of Roman amenities like games or baths or something like that. In any of these situations, they would have to swear an oath to Caesar. Caesar is Lord to participate in any of these things. This political religious act was unacceptable to the earliest Christians, who defiantly made one of their earliest creeds the simple declaration that Jesus is Lord. These Christians knew that they couldn't swear loyalty oaths to the empire because they had already sworn an oath to the kingdom of God. They could not swear loyalty oaths to Caesar because they had already sworn an oath to Jesus in baptism. They decided that Christians can't swear oaths because we'd already sworn one to Jesus. Christians couldn't swear oaths because they didn't own their own futures. Think about uh, the writings in James. James chapter 4 says, Don't say, I will do this, or I will go there. Say, if God wills it. Today, we have a similar dilemma. We're not being asked to put our hand on the Bible and swear to God all that often, but we are constantly bombarded with people and things and systems and ideas and worldviews and other, we could say, tribes that are demanding our loyalty from us. We don't say the words, but we cast our lot in with various groups and ideologies. And in doing so, we often tie too much of our identity to them. Here's a trivial example. Don't, don't look at anyone in the room. We all know that one person, don't look at them, we all know that one person who has no personality outside of their favorite sports team. And we, certainly, we don't have any of that in Georgia. There's none of that around here. Yeah, there's a, we laugh, right? There's, we laugh lovingly and playfully because we recognize that it's all a little bit silly. But how many of us have sworn loyalty to a, a certain media company? We only watch Disney. Or, or our favorite news channel, be it CNN or Fox or MSNBC or OAN, whichever flavor of letters you like to group together, to the point where we only trust that one source of information unquestioningly and out of hand dismiss anything that comes from somewhere else because, well, you know who they are. They said it. What about our political teams? I mean, parties. <laughs> Many of us have sworn allegiance to our party of choice. Maybe not in words or signed in blood, but we might as well have. We have given them too much of ourselves. How many of us have sacrificed relationships on the, the altar of politics in the last eight years? Friends we've blocked on social media or cut out of our lives entirely. Family we avoided parties and family gatherings if we still go at all. How many times have we jumped to conclusions about someone in this past season over what we assumed was a political gesture or what we assumed was a dog whistle or some sort of coded statement about the pandemic or race or whatever it is that hits your outrage button and puts you into fight or flight mode and you start to circle the wagons. Among other things, Jesus is calling us in this passage to investigate our allegiances. Be they our teams, our parties, our ideologies, our isms, whatever it is, 
Have we given them too much power? Have we given them too much control over our lives, out, external and internal? Have we sworn a type of oath with our hearts, our minds, our attention, and our intentions? So Jesus has offered us a warning, verse 34. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. But he also gives us instructions. Verse 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. You can't swear anything because the mark of Christ is already on you. So any actions and any statements you take or make, they're on his credibility. You're bearing the name of Christ when you're being who you are. But it goes deeper, this command, beyond just be honest or don't lie. The implications here are about living in truth, being a person of truth. And you know what? That could be dangerous. Part of this living authentically is to uh, stop playing the game. Stop playing spin doctor or shock jock with your story, bending it, twisting it, forcing it, manipulating yourself into being the person that you think someone or some group wants you to be. There's prophetic implications here too. Jesus has called us to be people of radical truth telling. We have been called to stop playing with the truth. To speak it plainly, even, especially, against our own teams. Is the Christian in the room our calling in our chair on the board, or as a voter in a party, or a subscriber to a show, or a citizen of a nation, or a neighbor in a city, or a member in a church? We are called to be radical truth-tellers. Jesus calls us to tell it straight, even when it's not in our best interests, or the best interests of our side or our team or whatever it is. Now don't mishear me. As an ethics teacher, I know how quickly we want to jump from here to trying to find a hole in this rule. Where are the loopholes? How do we wiggle out of this? If Jesus says to tell the truth, would it be wrong to lie to the Nazis about the people I'm hiding in the attic? Or do I tell the axe murderer at the door that their intended victim is indeed inside the house? These are some of the games we like to play. And we, we, love, we love these games because we love to look for ways out of the rules. But we aren't talking about a rule here. Jesus isn't calling us to a life of legalistic rule following, but rather a new way of being human altogether. It is natural, and frankly, sometimes reasonable, to lie, or at least not tell the truth. We're, we, we are more okay with that second one a lot of the time. But Jesus isn't calling us to what is natural or easy, is he? Jesus is calling us towards kingdom living, to live honestly and genuinely. Just a little bit earlier in Jesus' sermon, maybe no more than one or two pages to the left in your pew Bible, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This phrase, pure of heart, 
in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it could also be thought of as something like single-minded, blessed are the single-minded, or blessed are those of right motive. That is, it's, it's about to not hide our intentions, our motives, our plans, our reasons. It is to live as who we truly are. And it is to live as who we are in the humility and confidence that comes with having sworn our oath of allegiance to Jesus. To follow Jesus in truthfulness is to live a life of radical authenticity. To follow Jesus in truthfulness is to live a life of radical truth-telling. And if this is true, then to follow Jesus in truthfulness is to live a life of radical listening as well. We are called to live as those who dwell in the light of truth before God, to tell the hard and inconvenient truths that must be said, and to have the courage and the humility to accept those hard truths when we are the ones who need to hear them. Amen. Let's pray. God of every good gift, we thank you for the gift of this morning, this space, this time, the gift of community, the gift of the beauty of your word and the history that we are a part of. It is so important to remember all of those who have come before us and to imagine and dream and plan for those who will come after in the great stream of faith. What a blessing and privilege and honor it is to be one of your people. We ask you to, to frame us, to, to equip us, to mold us into the folks you're calling us to be. That we would be people of radical honesty, authenticity, truth-telling, and humble listening. Amen.